Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Malcolm McDonald and I'm here with Harry Henderson, ahead of our Adapting to Climate Change meeting in Inverness tomorrow. Harry, don't introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, um, I'm uh, a uh, knowledge exchange manager for cereals and potatoes based at Stoneley. Um, by and large, I, I travel the country trying to translate uh, scientific papers uh, into uh, something that a farmer can readily digest. I also look at uh, farming economics from the Farm Bench program that we run, where we can work out uh, the economics of machinery, um, particular operations, ploughing, cultivations, combining, grain drying, and so on, and uh, and just put it in front of farmers for them to decide which is the best way for them. It's often not that, that something's particularly wrong, it's just that something could be uh, tweaked in a better way to uh, to save a little bit of money. Okay. Um, so tomorrow's meeting you're going to talk a bit, well, the focus of the meeting is um, adapting to climate change, in this instance extreme weather, essentially drought and uh, and heavy rainfall. So you're going to be talking about min-till and no-till um, yeah. techniques and how they can be a tool in these, be a tool to try and cope with these extreme weather events. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's... It's ideal weather to be talking about uh, climate change because I've flown up from uh, um, Birmingham Airport this morning and uh, you can see flooded fields across right from uh, from the, the Midlands up to the Derbyshire Dales and then I see coming from Aberdeen Airport this morning there's lots of straw still in the swath, there's still fields un- unsown, there's lots of um, fields that have been cultivated but now they're probably so saturated wet that they're, they're too, uh, too uh, uh, fragile to drive on. And so it's fortuitous, really, that that sort of that's come up. Um, so what I was going to talk about tomorrow, really, is uh, probably reducing your ri- your risk on your farm. Can you de-risk your farm? Can you spread your cultivations out, your your uh, your operations, so you have less crops to drill in two weeks in October, let's say, when like this month it's just too wet to get near the fields can your rotation be adjusted to include more spring crops uh, can any crops be sown earlier um, and can you just reduce the risk of everything needing to happen in those vital few weeks in mid to late autumn um, of course everyone thinking of spring crops will think well there's less money to be made from those and therefore many farmers that we've come across of of been having to tackle blackgrass have grown more spring crops they've had to reduce their um, their costs going forward as well because the gross margin that they're going to get from their whole rotation now it includes spring crops is going to be less so th- their costs have to go down and this usually is machinery um, they've got the obligatory quad track that had to go the big drills have to go and smaller, lighter uh, machinery come in, and uh, and that's where the costs have been reduced. Also, repeat passes of cultivation passes have also be, have been drawn to an end. So that's really the driver of going to a, either a, a one or two pass crop establishment system, and that it's purely to reduce costs. Yeah. If you do that, you can 
uh, reduce the amount of subsoiling and soil restriction hopefully that you need to do and you can have a, a lighter touch on your uh, on your fields and that should enable you a, a, a reduced cost base which and gives you the freedom really to, to grow more spring crops and even out your workload and get rid of those peak workloads where if it isn't dry like it isn't now you can't drill what are you going to do you've got a, a, a big substantial amount of your crops need to go in right now and the weather's just not there yeah so that's slightly different from i think a lot of farmers and growers have ended up going down the route of even bigger machinery to try and make use of the the narrow weather window when they get it so you're saying try to change the methods of establishment to uh to make that less passes and uh, not quicker passes almost Yes, so you can you can get the quad track, and I was just looking up some figures here where the um, kilos per horsepower for a quad track, or the, in this case it's a John Deere 9RX, mm. were uh, 57 kilos per horsepower, mm. just for a, a bit of um, uh, 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 just for a bit of reference. A Massey Ferguson 135 from the 1970s is about 47 kilos per hectare, and a County 1174 is 32. So it's a really light tractor. Put that on on dual wheels or something similar, more modern version, and uh, you've got a real light tread tractor. Mm. Um, I think by using heavier equipment and hoping that that weather window comes, and it doesn't look like it's going to come, that that heavy equipment's going to have to stay in the shed this season. Yeah. So with fewer passes i'm not saying no till it could be a direct drill system a dale or a, um, uh, a some other scratch time based drill you could get out get drilling quickly with a a 100 150 horsepower tractor on dual wheels and a, and a time based drill yeah. one pass over it's done mm-hmm. um so yeah it's uh, it's just reducing the passes and making each pass count yeah and you think moving forward if you got into a system like that well established would you you know a kind of firmer ground would you be able to get on in situations where you maybe couldn't or if you went a full you know full inversion plowing it can quite often end up spongy or even porridgey in the wet conditions do you think you could avoid that and have a, a better surface to be working on which would mean more working days in the end it would um but i think there's always that possibility that if you were if it's rained and it's too wet on top in early in the autumn you could plow and power a harrow drill combination and that's a very weatherproof system of, of going ahead so i think flexibility is key i don't think anyone has to adopt any religion where you shall never plow again mm. i think the plow just nicely sits in the back of the shed ready to go ready to put on and if you've got the opportunity to do it you you can do mm. um but I think at this point in the season, I've been at a couple of plough matches now where the soil is just ploughing up wet. And so that option has gone because the, the, the soil is saturated through to plough depth. And even if you go out with a plough now, it's just too wet to, to even get on with a power harrow drill combination. Mm. So then it's a case of, of keeping off it, not going on it with anything. And um, and if you get a an opportunity to get in with a scratch type drill, time based drill, you could get a, a lot of land drill quite quickly. If it just dries that little bit, you get yeah. a good drying day with some wind, mm. away you go. Yeah. But the big heavy tractor with all the weights on the front mm-hmm. is going to be a disaster because it, you'll not get the the crop um, drill 
satisfactorily behind the tractor wheels. So with that type of system, you can essentially make use of the drain, even if it's just the top kind of couple of inches almost, yeah. and a smaller machine and a different type of drill will stay up on the surface fine, whereas the larger machine, or if you're going to plowing, it would just sink, essentially. It would, yeah. Well, it wouldn't sink, but it would just plough up wet, and then you've got more of a mess than you yeah, started with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Which could be compaction and other issues down the line. Yeah. Early on in the season, in the early on in the autumn, ploughing um, something, uh, ploughing early on in the season, ploughing and following it straight behind with a power drill combination can work absolutely mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. But late on the season, it's it's going to struggle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it is it is about de-risking your operation, piling jobs in into a, a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, can your windows be up, uh, of operation be extended? And as that, it'll be a, a never-ending conversation about whether you get a bigger tractor to do more in a short period of time, mm-hmm. but your smaller tractor is not able to do as much, but it, your window of operation could be extended. Yeah. And yes, it might mean nighttime drilling and, and long hours in the seat for a short period of time mm-hmm. with a smaller machine, but at least you're on and you're drilling. Yeah, but with GPS and the like now, that's less taxing than it once was yeah. and less inefficient than it once was too, so yeah. definitely an option. Okay. Okay. Um, you mentioned before that you had a, a trip to Finland. Was this the kind of things which were coming up on the trip to Finland? Or? It is. I was going to touch on Finland. Um, it's... Um, it's a very far north country. They get a lot of snow and a lot of frost in the winter. They get frost down to 50 centimetres soil depth. Mm-hmm. So uh, when they come to drill in the spring, you can imagine that the spring comes on fairly quickly from very short days in the, in depths of winter to a, to a spring that moves forwards to, to longer days in the summer, much longer days. Um, the snow if there's any snow lying on the on the soil surface that starts to melt and it starts to thaw the top inch of the of the um, soil and of course everything below is still frozen so all the water doesn't go through the soil it just runs off the fields into the ditches and if you've got a ploughed field or a cultivated field it'll start to take all your soil with it mm-hmm. so the Finnish government have stepped in and and said to farmers if you maintain a crop cover or residual if it's just straw and stubble or a cover crop on your fields over winter will give you between 30 and 40 euros per hectare to do that if you plough it you don't get anything so that's appealing Um, and the Finnish farm um, business isn't very profitable they're they're struggling with profits most farmers have a second job they're smallish farmers two to four hundred acres and they grow uh, uh, some winter crops which survive and then a lot of it's into spring crops so they have lightweight tractors they have a simple box drill that can be either used on a plough based system cultivated or no till mm-hmm. i've got a few photographs of those to show you tomorrow and off they go with a 100 horsepower tractor with dual wheels all round then hardly ever take these dual wheels off they can't think of a reason why you'd want to take them off apart from when you're, you're clearing snow in the winter and um off they go and it's a, it's a cheap cheap system so they just have the one tractor usually has a loader they have the one drill they will have a plow they will have a simple cultivators they haven't got anything that's uh, uh, deep till uh, let's say but it's a it's a simple farm business so we'll touch on that as well 
because that's often right. Well, there's often a perception that these min-till or no-till drills are a, are a more expensive and a fancier type of drill, but it's not not the not necessarily the case. Yeah. These finished drills are just a simple box drill. Mm -hmm. They have a row of wheels along along the back. Mm -hmm. The uh, they're quite low draft to pull, so you don't need a massive tractor to pull it, mm -hmm. and because you've got so many wheels that you can put on the ground it will work fine on a plough based system or you can just lift these wheels out It's got, and you can add weight to it and if it wants to go into a, a no-till system you can do that as well. And what, well not to put a figure on it, but how are many of the Finnish farmers still ploughing sometimes and they kind of, and they sort of just asking when they can, when conditions allow? Or? If, when, I think it's called opportunistic ploughing so if they need to do it they'll do it. Mm -hmm. They don't want to do it because it will cost them too much. They don't want to put uh, money into the crop via diesel and hours spent in on in the tractor. So uh, it's very much a, if they need to turn the field over, they will do. But it's got to have the benefits of new soil and a fresh start and a, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And these kind of systems are they? Do you think they're more dependent on herbicides? They are. That's the one thing I was going to bring up. It is dependent on glyphosate. Yeah. Um, they haven't. They. We asked. Well, what are you going to do about glyphosate? Um, when either it gets lost through legislation or through resistance, and they went, hmm, don't know yet. So yes, they're in a very similar boat to, to many other farmers where glyphosate is vital, um, in the, in a in a low cost uh, system. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of people won't realise on the one hand you'd think of the no-till as the more sustainable yeah. option from a soil health and soil erosion perspective then again it's very dependent on glyphosate which there's a lot of very well, quite bad press about but people uh -huh. you know they're two, se they're two separate issues but if you're pro-sustainable farming then uh, you might be pro those two things which are inextricably yeah. linked yeah. people don't realise the complexity of it. For sure. Are you finding more interest in these kind of cultivation methods as there's been this kind of, I would say, change in the weather over the last few years, is that something people are more interested in? or? I think so. I don't know that it's been put down to changeable weather. I think um, I think changeable weather could be handled by bigger machinery getting around more area quicker. Yeah. But that assumes that your land will dry up at some point. And uh, here we are in, in late October... Yeah. And the whole country is wet through, and there's in some areas there's 10% of the the winter wheat crop drilled, mm -hmm. and so it's not looking like it's going to get drilled in good conditions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about cultivator drills being bought up uh, in Lincolnshire, and you can just go straight on and get in with a cultivator drill. Mm -hmm. But if that seed gets drilled into four, five, six inches of of clods, clods and and slud, there's the seed to soil contact isn't really going to be good enough it's going to be slug habitat and slug feasting so i think it's gone from one a bad situation to worse yeah. with a cultivated drill if you get a roll on it if you get a drying day and you get a roll on it before it's chitted then fantastic but that's unlikely to happen at the moment yeah yeah okay so maybe more interest just from a cost cutting perspective yeah 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 cost, cost cutting there's more farmers taking an interest in their soils from a, a soil health point of view and the the most vocal ones on twitter are probably doing it as as much as a hobby as anything whereas some farmers take on particular interests like grain trading or precision farming or um, a 
wildlife and nature some of these guys are looking after the wildlife and nature that's below ground rather than above it yeah and it makes it work they, they make it work um and i think a lot of farmer other farmers could make it work i think the point to say is if it's flexibility it's flexibility with with cultivations yeah, yeah. don't sell the plow i mean there's no one there's you hear on social media that people have sold the plow and uh, with with great fanfare don't sell it don't but sell don't put it in the nettles either just keep it greased up yeah. keep it ready to go and just so you can drop onto it at a moment's notice and go plowing absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, if it's been in the nettles for five years then yes you might as well get the scrap man <laughs> yeah absolutely i suppose what often your people say is they're, they'd be hesitant to keep that because then they see they're carrying carrying the plow equipment and the and the mental or no-till equipment which is an added cost but i suppose maybe there if you have both you'd be having a slightly less expensive version of both would be the way to look at it I think so, and I think, uh, yeah, the plough is an expensive machine to keep on the books, and if you're trying to reduce costs, one of the things you need to do is, is get rid of the cultivations equipment. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the uh, the min-till cultivations equipment, the the um, the, the Simba equipment and the, the multi-leg and multi-disc and packer equipment, if you've got a selection of those to go at, then um, then those are the ones you need to get, get rid of, really. Yeah. I think that... The ones that are indeed a sledgehammer to crack a walnut, when you we need to go ploughing, you've got the press, then you can get straight on with a relatively straight and simple power harrow drill combination yeah. and just get drilling, yeah. then then uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. The, the, the f- sort of uh, multi-leg cultivators that can cost an awful lot of money, they're probably losing value because the, the, the market for those is disappearing, so those are the things to get rid of first, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, up here, I mean, a large percentage of the crop, uh, the crop, and will be spring barley. Um, how how well do you think these systems can work in a spring barley situation as opposed to a winter cropping situation? Um, yeah, it's interesting because I suppose there's a there's a tradition of winter ploughing, and then you can get on when the when the sun shines in the spring, and yeah. if it shines in se- February great if it doesn't until March then we can work with that Um, I suppose spring ploughing is fairly unpopular because you're usually ploughing up wet horrible soil that needs a bit of weather on it to uh, to go so I've seen spring crops drilled and I've got some photographs from Finland where some spring crops are drilled just coming up through the ground drilled in mid-May and it looks horrendously late and uh, you think it's never going to make a crop but it did all right it got away it was down to the sowing depth um, which was critical not too deep not into cold soil and then rolled and sealed in Mm. so if it didn't rain from june to august which is quite likely Mm. then it's got enough moisture to go out below okay um but i i think People are concerned that they must get drilled up in February, mm. when they could probably, if they left it alone, they could drill in in April. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think there has been maybe a, a slight move away of some people drilling too early because a couple of years ago, especially in this area, there was a cold snap in March, and it ended up the early sown crops were just through the ground, and then they got hit with frost, and they did worse than the later sown crops. Yeah. So I think that scared off some some people from going too early. I would say. Um, 
but on that I suppose moisture retention could be the, the key benefit there because yeah. the plough ground can dry out all too easily when yeah. it does like last summer it was exceptionally hot and dry and uh, a lot of spring crop did, did not do well at all it didn't do as badly I think as some people expected because I think a little bit of moisture came just in time um, but do you think the mintill or no-till could, could improve that moisture retention aspect? It could do um, but uh, there was a, a case in Hertfordshire last spring where they had a no-till drill I think it was a, a weaving drill they went in to some wet cold soils they drilled the drill worked a treat it drilled the, the seed at right depth and then there f- forwards it, it didn't rain at all the crack that the or the slot that the drill created then cr- uh, opened back up again when the soil dried and suspended the barley seed in mid-air causing it to die Right. So the lesson there was that they, they went in as soon as they could into probably soils that weren't friable enough and you weren't able to close the slot um, behind the, the disc effectively enough. Yeah. And two weeks later would have been a different story, it would have closed the slots, the, the seeds would have got into moisture and the slot wouldn't have opened back up again. But it is about that top three, three inches of soil that needs to be friable. Yeah. If the, um, I've no doubt that the drill can slice the slot in the soil, put the seed in, but when it, you know, with with climate change, we can assume that it might not stop raining in the autumn, but it might stop raining in the spring, which is just as dangerous as as um, as, as it uh, not stopping raining. So I think it's having the nerves of steel to drill later when the the soil seed bed is more friable. Mm. I think all for me it's flexibility is the key yeah. so I think that in you read in the social media and in the press that some guy has gone down one system and one system only mm. and privately he'll be taking all of his worth to try and make it work yeah. and he'll only show you the good bits you'll only see the good bits on social media and yeah. uh, and um, the farmers weekly yeah. so I think it's flexibility. If you need to run a cultivator over the uh, over the ground just to get it to dry, if it's a nice windy day, mm. then you're back at it tomorrow with the drill. There's mm. nothing wrong with that in the, uh, in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, it, it is flexibility, and therefore you need a flexible drill yeah. that will run on a cultivated soil or no-till. Yeah. Uh, buying a purely no-till drill is, is probably a dangerous game. Yeah. And an expensive game. From and an expensive game. Yeah. And some of these machines are quite tough to pull. Yeah. And uh, then you need a well-ballasted tractor, and then you're not getting anywhere forwards. You've spent an awful lot of money on some nice-looking kit, mm-hmm. and you haven't actually saved any costs, mm-hmm. and your yields are riskingly going, mm-hmm. could risk going down. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, right, so just yeah, flexibility being key. Right? So the first step for a lot of arable farmers in this area would be um, to not necessarily go to the plough first and foremost every time maybe. Just take a spade out, just have a look, mm-hmm. just see what the soil structures are like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you can get away with not ploughing mm-hmm. and it's the cost element of, of not ploughing which is going to be the the, uh, the, the saving. Yeah. Um, but if you feel you need to plough, you've got some grass weeds you need to get rid of, then the plough can come in yeah. very well. This is it. Yeah. 
I recently did a did a carbon audit for somebody and we worked out fuel use on the different um, activities and the ply was coming in at half the fuel use of the total field operations. Yeah. 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 Um, which shows yeah, and then you add on metal and labour and time and you get an idea how expensive it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how the plough stands in the future and what the government will will come up with in relation to the plough and winter ploughing and so on, yeah. I don't know. I have no insight to that at all. There there was a question or it was raised that when Michael Gove was um, yeah. Environment Secretary he talked about paying farmers to um, I think adopt mint-till, no-till things so it's certainly been talked about in government yeah. these kind of options it could be like the finished system where you just get paid well I suppose that is in place already um, not very easily and simply but right now farmers are getting paid for retaining stubbles until the 1st of March yeah. in some situations Okay. Um, so it's already there up to a point but there's there's possibly that might become a bit more compulsory or a bit yeah. more um, forced um, yeah okay but it's 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 an inventive mind and flexibility I think that will win yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but uh, and there'll probably be a derogation if you if you have to plough then you have to but uh, yeah, of course. I think because um, black grass not an issue here but it is creeping northwards as uh, I'm sure I'm told in a really big issue down in England so mm-hmm. uh, yeah I think um, are people successfully tapping that in mental systems do you think um, they are, but they have to decide whether they're going to be a plough-based system or a min-till. Mm-hmm. And I think farmers have slipped into being non-inversion but maximum till. Mm-hmm. So they buy a big cultivator and it's got legs and wings and packer discs and another set of discs. And it's a great tillage train and will produce you a lovely seed bed um, when you walk behind it. Mm-hmm. But it's mixed any of this blackgrass seeds that were laying on the soil surface now into a depth of maybe four to five inches, six inches, yeah. and you won't get all of those emerging blackgrass plants with one spray. Yeah. And some will start emerging in February, March, mm. and those are the ones that will replace the seed bank for next year yeah. because you won't be able to tackle them in that, in that time of year. Yeah. So in that situation, you're probably almost as well going for it the ploughing, the full inversion and putting the seed Go for ploughing, put it down, mm-hmm. but you have to then keep it down for three years. Mm, and then that's a light touch, that's not putting compaction into into the, um, the, the soil that you've ploughed. It's light touch cultivation, springtime drags, that sort of thing, yeah. rather than these heavy duty cultivators that do a, a one pass system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is with, with strip till drills, they take a lot of pulling. Mm-hmm. If the soil gets wet, you still need a fairly hefty tractor to pull these strip-till drills through the systems, through the soil. So I don't really think that they're the answer because they are too limited in no window of operation. Yeah. Early autumn, no bother whatsoever. Late in the season when it's, the soil starts to take on moisture, then you tractor on the front and there's too much impact in the, on the, from the drill. Yeah. And it's, it's just introducing back compaction where you really don't want it. Yeah, it's just keeping all your options open and not investing in one big thing that's going to do it because yeah. the chances are you didn't buy it you got sold it and that's the dangerous well, that's a bit as, as a rule of thumb do you just take a, a bit of scepticism to any drills which are too fancy as, as I would call them or? well that's very broad, it, broad it is but I mean you can spend an awful lot of money on a drill and in the end of the day it's got to save you an awful lot of money it's got to re either increase yield or reduce cost 
or you've spent a lot of money to to either avoid paying tax or to and to stand still. Yeah. So, okay, yes, it might be more reliable, but if it's not saving you a, an extra pass or if it's not getting you an extra ton a hectare, yeah. then why change? Yeah. Well, so if it's not, um, if you're going to spend, uh, you know, cost for new, a new drill could be uh, tens of thousands of pounds. If if you are getting your work done with your old drill, if it's going to save you a couple of days' work in season, it might not be worth it really. Yeah. No, no, no. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a standing in a field in Lincolnshire with a farmer. He was demonstrating a, a six-meter John Deere 750A. And it ran very well, and I think the dealer was quoting him seventy thousand pounds to change. Mm. And he said, "I can't do that. That's just I can't. I can't see where the savings is going to come from." Mm. And I said, "Well, you do, do you need a six meter?" And he had a six meter uh, conventional drill in the field with him. And he said, "Well, I'm not going backwards, but he could afford a four meter and use it just the once because it's a one pass no till drill." Okay. But he couldn't see, he couldn't, he couldn't figure in his own mind that if he's going to a smaller drill or get a small, he's reducing his capacity. Ah. But then he's only making a one-pass system with a no-till drill. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's all sorts of connotations to or think about. For this way, he's given himself the opportunity to make out a one-pass system. Yeah. If and when yeah. conditions are laying. Yeah. Yep. He doesn't have to. Yeah. No. So even though he's but he struggled to see that as it was just a He couldn't calculate, so I couldn't, you know, he thought that was just exposing himself to too much risk of not getting the job done. Yeah. yeah. When he's now got a six metre drop. Yeah. So. Uh, this is again very Has anybody done the maths? If you, if you just have a four metre drill but a faster forward speed, yeah. is, that, is that difficult to do, do you think? Or do people. There's, there are farmers, I mean, I've come across farmers that pull their drill at 15, 16 kilometres yeah. per hour. Yeah. To the point where now the seed is now bouncing out of the out yeah. of the slot, yeah. and it's just going everywhere. You get coulter bumps, as they call it. Yeah. So there is a limit. You know, 10, 12 k is is, is good. Yeah. Six miles an hour, sort of thing. Yeah. And I I know some certain types of drill need a bit of speed to get the you know, cultivator-based ones, I suppose, to get the tilth working. But yeah, um, yeah if there's going to be a risk of bouncing. It's uh, yeah. Then you, your sowing quality goes down. Yeah. And I do say the old saying that well sown, half grown is, is stands true. Yeah, yeah it really absolutely, does. Absolutely, yeah. I suppose there's also the risk of damage. If you hit a stone at that kind of speed, it could really. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard on everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the the um, satellite GPS systems struggle to cope. They start to to weave about like a a, a caravan on the on a motorway. Because they're compensating. One it's way, compensating. Then it's the and way. it starts to get weaving and yeah. it starts to go out of control. Yeah, I oh, yeah, like a caravan. Yeah. Okay. Um, just one final thing. Do you think when people go to this is what I've heard anecdotally, when people go to a kind of more mental system, is that kind of a better soil structure or a slightly firmer soil structure structure following through to harvest? Because there's a lot of harvest difficulties this year with fields being soft. Um, if you cut down the amount of ploughing done, you know, on the farm, do you think you get conditions you can combine on when you wouldn't otherwise? I know ideally you'd want, you know, it should be quite dry anyway for the sake of the grain, but this year people were just getting it when they could get on the ground. Yeah. Um, do you think you'd see a difference when you less cultivations? In theory, in time to come when you when you stop ploughing and you get the weight off the field, then the percolation rate of water going through the soil profile should increase. But that's going to be very dependent on you having your drainage system in good fettle. Yeah. Um, and so the fundamental of of any um, minimum tillage approach 
will be get your drainage sorted first. Yeah. Um, and you'll see it in the headlands where the machines have turned round time and time again. And if you are able to produce a uh, gross margin map from your gatekeeper software or your farm management software, it can be very telling yeah. that you're losing hundreds of pounds per hectare on your headlands mm. and the, the money is to be made in the in the middle of the field yeah. but you look at the headlands and why is that um, losing so much money it's probably because the drains aren't quite getting the water to the field edge and getting it away off the yeah. field yeah, okay. so fundamental to anything that uh, in, in terms of reduced cultivations will be will be the drainage yeah but of course you can get plow pans will come in um, and if it rains like it has done over the last few weeks the plough, the water will fill up the the soil profile from the plough pan upwards and start to to um, to, to flood the field. Yeah. What min till people have found is that the they they get ponding quicker, but it disappears quicker. Okay. Whereas in a plough-based system, once you get a pond in the field, yeah. it's probably there all winter. Yeah. But if you're a, a good min till kind of guy, ponds will appear quite quick. Mm. But then they'll drain away. Yeah, I mean, after a day or two. But it's down to drainage. Yeah. It's, it's all yeah. down to drainage. Yeah. We've just finished the adapting to climate change meeting at Croy. Uh, I'm here with Gavin Elric, who's an SAC um, soil and drainage specialist. Do you want to introduce yourself briefly, Gavin? Talk about your background. Yeah, um, yeah Malcolm. My uh, background is soils, drainage, nutrient management, and uh, just general how to ma- maintain your soils is, is my key. Over the years we've looked at different methods and, and just trying to get soils balanced. The key thing to, to remember with soils is, is there's three main elements, um, chemical, physical and biological, and the whole idea is to, to manage those so we hit the sweet spot in the middle of the soils at its ideal condition. In the hall today we were speaking about green manures and we were looking back over the different times and the importance of picking your green manures to to sort out the issues or help maintain the soil issues that you have. Um, we were looking at having deep rooting plants to help uh, with soil compaction, bulky rooted plants for dealing with helping with orga- soil organic matter, and ensuring that whatever plants you were you are using that they didn't interfere with your rotation and you didn't carry over diseases like club root um, and uh, maybe some of the other uh, issues of carrying a pest and disease bridge if you're using cereals in your mix that's sometimes called a green bridge effect isn't it? yes it's a green bridge is, is one of the one of the problems so if you ideally what you want to try and use your green green manure is also as a break crop between um, your your main crops uh, we looked at ideally you, you don't grow a single uh, green manure it may be the case that you but to get the best manure, you're better to, to grow a, a cocktail of plants uh, to do different things you could maybe use some legumes to capture some nitrogen and also some uh, grasses or or cereals such as rye or oats to mop up any excess nitrogen in the soil and use uh, some of the brassicas or some of the deep, deeper rooted plants like uh, fodder radish. Yeah, use fodder radish because it's long tap root helps break up compaction in the soils. We also went out to uh, 
Marston Farm, which is just along the road from the, the hall, um, but it's also in some very light and stony soils where we, we, we would be looking. The, what we exit found some compaction issues uh, in the soil where they've been using a, an area for carting uh, straw to stacks where they compacted the soils, but in general the soil was in very good condition. Um, and ideally what you'd be looking, because it's that light soil, you wouldn't be encouraging organic matter, so you'd be looking for some um, plants that would probably um, bulk up uh, the roots with something like a good root mass, like some maybe coxfoot or phacelia, um, and, and the, with a good root mass for, for the area to, to help build your organic matter. Um, as the farm is, is running an organic rotation, you, you'd probably want to put in uh, either white or probably white or uh, maybe red clover in it to help bulk up uh, and capture nitrogen so that you would have a, a, a nitrogen going into your next crop at uh, a loading for the, to help uh, cut down the requirement for fertilizers either, in which case it would be probably organic manures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, Aye, the organic matter uh, requirement, uh, because it's quite a light soil over a very stony subsoil, um, the soils at Morriston probably would benefit from so, uh, organic matter that in the, in the green manures to hold it open. Yeah. Other than the compacted uh, areas round about where they, they, they were hauling bale trailers and uh, things, Generally, the soil was in pretty good condition and didn't wouldn't have benefited from looking at uh, green manures that uh, mm -hmm. for breaking compaction. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, there was a bit of discussion in the field about chopping straw and putting yeah. it in. Um, it. I think that's probably the quickest and easiest way to build organic matter. I think it, it's it's one of the, the the best ways to recycle. It also helps with your potash uh, in your soil, is because yeah. you're eat, the straw takes off a lot of potash. So we'll be looking to. Uh, uh, save a bit of that as well as the thing. The main problem with chopping straw at large volumes onto your, into your crop is the the balance. It soaks up, a, requires a lot of nitrogen so that that nitrogen will be taken up with the bugs to break down the straw. So you generally need to add a bit extra nitrogen in some format to to help break down. But it is, it's a good, a good source of carbon into the soil and a good source of organic matter, but it does take a while to break down. So you, you it's not a, a quick process. You build up over a number of years to, to get the, the soil, the bio, soil biology used to having all this extra straw going on every year. And once you, you get that in, and you will start to get it break, break it down. So. Which is probably why some people are maybe slow to do that or consider doing it because they have to forfeit the, the, the money from selling straw yeah. and then they might not see an immediate saving in, in, in potash, but not... Uh, no, that's it. And, uh, but in, in light soils like that, the main element for holding on to your nutrients in the soil is the organic matter, so it's key. Um, you have low clay contents, which is the other element that holds the nutrients, so your organic matter is key to, to keeping your nutrient levels up in, in the soil. So it's you're balancing a long-term. Soil maintenance is, is a lifetime project. Oh, it's, yeah. it's You've got to work, work on it and gradually work your way through this. Generally, no quick fixes. It's but it's the fixes will be good if you can sort them out and make it. It will make your soil more resilient to more organic matter will help in drought conditions, especially in those light stony soils that they will hold moisture in dry years. Yeah. And but also 
maintain a good structure in wet years, which will help with the drainage and prevent the, the soil getting waterlogged. So. Yeah, because around, around here, this kind of um, east side of Inverness and down to there, and yeah. there is quite light soils, they do yeah. have issues with drought. Um, so on a, on a general everything, increasing organic matter is one of the, the best ways to try and increase resilience to that? Yes, say? I think it is. On light soils, I think organic, increasing organic matter helps resilience. How, how you do it, you could green manures, maybe adding compost, um, fibre digestate. It's, these all help. Um, straw, chopped in straw, uh, cattle dung, all, they all help to, to build it up. And it's, but it's, it's a good rotation as well. If you're continually growing a monoculture of crops, you have less likely the soil biology is, becomes very fixed rather than having a broad spectrum to help cope with breaking down diseases that build up in the, in the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose the key thing there is that also increase all these measures would take quite a long time. They have to be. Yeah, yes. We're going to see you're, you're, there's you're, no, you're, there's you're, no quick fixes. For no, any of these no. Things. You're you're looking to build a plan and work to that plan. And because of the weather we get in Scotland, you're always going to be sidetracked by issues that are weather. Or but if you can work your way in your plan and and see your end what your end goal is. You'll be working towards that and, and getting your pH and everything, as we discussed earlier today. That one of the keys is getting the pH right, um, because the bugs in the soil really like a, a nice, even uh, neutral sort of pH that uh, keeps keeps them going and help. That helps them release the and the the nutrients and helps pick the also the green manures will help maybe pull up nutrients for it to have leached down into the subsoil as well. So you get them back up into the the growing layer of the soil. So. Yeah. Do you think um, some of those green manures will be, because we talked about available P and K as insoluble yeah. P and K, do you think some of those, the right type of mixture might be accessing that, or taking that less available P and K and making it available to the next crop? I think it does. It does help uh, breaks break down and you get the, the pH. The small trials we've been involved in, we found that in one year the, the phosphate levels increased in the soil uh, quite uh, markedly, which was mm-hmm. quite impressive for not having anything been added during yeah. the, the growing periods. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it could be a, a corresponding reduction in bagged uh, phosphate. Yes, uh, then, yeah. but certainly, and if you're using uh, the legumes in the mix, then you'll, you have a, you can break down the requirement because they fix nitrogen, then you, you, you could be looking at maybe 20, 20, 30, maybe even 40 kilograms per hectare of nitrogen that you don't have to apply through yeah. the bag, so you can you can get a reduction. Yeah. One of the drawbacks with that, though, is that if you're growing malting barley, you can find that the grain nitrogen, because it's slower re- release the nitrogen over the season, you can end up with a bit higher nitrogen in the grain, so you have to be careful. Yeah, it's more variable. I yeah. suppose it's kind of like an old grass lay when you play with it. But yes, like, you, know, it's just, you don't know when the organic matter is going to release that. And it can be just when the, yeah. the, the, that wrong moment. If yeah. it's released, if you have a nice, warm, damp early season, a lot of it will be broken down quite quickly and it'll be out of, the, out of the grain. But if you have a dry season, then it might be held on and then closer to harvest it gets, it's, gets released yeah. and then ends up mainly in the grain. So. Yeah. So there is a risk there yes, for the multi uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, you've done some green manure trials uh, at home on your own farm. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and tell us what mixtures worked well and what mixtures? We've we've done a bit of work. We've had a, a number of plots. Uh, we've nine different plots, um, of which every year they, we've 
one year as five plots, the next year as four plots, and then and in, in between the years when they're not in green manures, they're in spring barley being grown for malting. The, one of the best mixes we've seen um, is uh, has been the chicory and red clover, along with the um, uh, Italian ryegrass. It's it really grows well and 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 helps us really helps the soil, gives a good rooting structure. We'll get the chicory roots are going down to over 300 millimeters, and same with the the red clover roots, but also the the. The Italian ryegrass in the mix is helping for a bulk of organic matter back in the soil. The, we have found um, both mustard and uh, oilseed radish to be very effective in building bulk. But uh, one of the issues with both the oilseed radish and the, the mustard is, is they have left seed a seed bank and we found it two years after and the, uh, when the next day we put green manures in the two blocks were had a predominance of these uh, of mustard and oilseed radish where there was none sown in the, the mix so there, therefore you, if you are in an organic situation where you can't spray them out then you you may have issues if you let these plants seed yeah. so it, it may be a case of incorporating them or, or chopping them before they they set seed and allowing them to, to regrow again. Like, yeah, so. absolutely. Do you find in the different mixture quite vigorous? There's no issues with uh, weeds, I suppose, unwanted weeds germinating what, in the mixture. What we found is the, the the mixture, all the mixtures tend to be very good at suppressing weeds. Well, 2018 was a bit of an exception because it was very dry and the the green manures didn't grow, didn't bulk up at all, and we had a didn't have a weed problem, but we had far more weeds growing than either 2017 or 2019 when you, you hardly saw a weed at all because the canopy closed up and, and suppressed them totally. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> um, so any any particular plant or species you think would be, if not essential, but a really good one to have in a mix? I am a great believer in sort of free nitrogen. So if you can put a, a legume into your mix, you're you're doing well because you you've got something or nothing. And it, yeah. and, and you find if you depend on which the vetches are very good if you're working over winter, trying to grow something over winters. They tend to grow over and unfortunately they're one of the more expensive seed mix mixes. Red and red clover is pretty good, and crimson clover we found has has been very resilient, and we've. While we were we were informed that the crimson clover would probably die out over the winter, the year we grew it, it was actually growing back in the spring again. So it, it was we found that it, uh, it was there was a relatively mild winter, but it did survive the winter. So it's uh, so it's not it, not as uh, doom and gloom as you think. But whereas the red clover comes back like a rocket in the springtime, it's yeah. it's really quite impressive. Yeah. But it's a more expensive seed, so that's the. Uh, and to get the best out of red clover, you probably want it in for a couple of years. So you maybe would look at it as your green manure being a short-term lay, which you could use. If you're not in the scheme, you could use it for grazing for your finishing lambs or something. Yeah. And especially if you had chicory in the mix, which is a natural uh, warmer, so it yeah. can really help uh, finish your lambs off. Because yeah. we planted in uh, April, May, and we found that you could be grazing it very happily um, 
mid mid June to ju- beginning of July, okay. you would have a, a grazable swarm that you could put them on and off. And by the time the time of October, it was uh, heading towards two and a half feet, uh, six hundred millimeters high. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's 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 a very bulk, and to the point you would need to strip graze it rather than uh, just let them roam free. Okay. And it's so that's almost getting back to. I mean, green manures is thought of as a very yeah, modern idea, yeah. but that's almost getting back to a very traditional kind of three or four year lay in, yeah, the, in it's, the rotation. Yeah, it like is that. like Just that. And one, one of the benefits is all, all the green manures we've been doing have had no fertilizer added to them, and you're getting a big bulk of uh, material for grazing or for incorporating, yeah. depending yeah. on how, the system you're working. So. Yeah. so if you were outside an environmental scheme, that could be a very useful Yes. You know, grazing lay yeah, for you it's, even it's in the short term. Yeah, just very qu- quick. If you want, you if you were look, if you are looking to put in a new grass lay, it might be a quick break through the summer and help break up the the old sward mm-hmm. uh, and graze it off, and then put in the 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 grass lay over the in the autumn when you've less of a weed com- competition mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. for the for the for the for the new lay. So you you'd. Mm-hmm a bit of uh, grazing on it for a start and help break up the old sward ready for and allow you maybe to lime and correct any ph issues you have so. Yeah, yeah so it can work in a livestock and arable yes, system uh, it's cert- certainly it's the one of the reasons we, we look at some of the mixtures is was looking at a mixed farming issue where we could, when you weren't in an eek scheme you could make make use of these to f- trying to break up your crops it may be um, in an all arable situation, you could maybe put uh, a green manure mix in um, early in the spring, and co- have a contract uh, shepherd or some uh, your neighbour with with livestock could graze it off prior to you putting in winter oilseed drape or putting in uh, winter wheat a clean break for a new crop going in. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh to be structured properly, yeah. but if somebody's not yeah. wanting to get their own livestock, yeah, it could be done like that with yeah. the, with the, the right seen, people. Seen that done, it's, again, you get a cooperation benefit, and that can allow you to uh, you can manage it between the, the the two businesses. They could set up a you could have a rotation, a short term rotation, and they could have their lambing and finishing the lambs ready to go into clean grazing. Yeah. So the yeah. so the, that would be a benefit to them as well as you as yeah. you're getting the, yeah. the the break crop for the the cereals yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. Yeah, absolutely okay um, a lot of people right now are putting in green cover for EFA or they should have it yeah. most it will be in by yeah. now those shorter term kind of green manures generally I know this this far north they, they're you're only going to get so much growth anyway yeah. but in those short mixtures what do you think are the things I that are being th- think you're, you're looking at something with a relatively big seed probably maybe, maybe oats or yeah. rye or triticale you be something that's going to go over the winter and survive if you're sowing it in some people have been broadcasting before with a on, on the sprayer before the they actually combine the crop by putting in mustard or uh, some of the small seeds in to, to, to go over it. It's unlikely you would be able you'd be using any of the legumes except, except if you sowed in vetch, uh, winter vetch, then you may you may get um, some benefit. The other other thing is to you you could, if you're sowing in you might use winter beans um, as they they put it, they they will capture a bit, but relatively the 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 benefit of capturing nitrogen is probably on the low side so if it's an expensive seed 
then you, you won't get the benefit because if it's only going in over the winter um, to capture direct drill then then you, you're not, it's not having a chance to capture much nitrogen yeah. because of the, the, the soil temperatures yeah. are below. So. It, it needs to grow to capture nitrogen yes, and there's only so much nitrogen yeah. for growth. Yeah, 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 so. Absolutely. so you want something, ideally you want something that'll grow quickly, stabilise the soil and, and mop up any excess nitrogen in the soil yeah. which you will gain when you plough it down in the springtime. So. Yeah. yeah. So do you think that sowing something before before harvest is probably quite valuable in this it's probably this far north it's probably a, worth a try um, mm. if you can get the right seed and maybe you could put in for the for your green covers you you maybe look at some of the, the likes of the uh, kale type type mm. varieties or something like that it'll grow on for a while as well we're we're, we're far north but also we're in the murray area which is generally has a benign Mm. winter climate down yeah. on the coast so depending where you are you may get off with uh, sowing yeah. some of these um, other uh, uh, legumes or some of the small seeded crops mm. and get a good green cover but it can be very year dependent it's just yeah, depend if it were a cold winter a cold back end like this year has, hasn't been very conducive to to getting good uh, good growth again yeah. compared to 2018 where we had a really mild early harvest easy to get the, the, the crop in and it was it was growing we were getting growth right up almost to Christmas yeah. you were, were getting because it was so mild so. absolutely yeah. but I mean if all you're putting into it is the seed then surely that's yes, and if you have to enter for your EFA requirements yeah. then it's yeah, a, a yeah. benefit, benefit to you every second year yeah, that's that's it, still. Yeah. so you'll be looking at that sort of thing so yeah. well, well the whole thing of trying to improve your soil structure is to mitigate risk uh, Put resilience into your soil to cope with uh, mm -hmm. either drought events or uh, rain, heavy rainfall events. So we're looking to, to build that resilience either through organic matter or good soil structure. So, it's, so yeah. the, the rooting, you get a, a good root mass from the growing crop and it, to, to access the nutrients plus the water and yeah. and help help uh, keep the soil open for the for the fallen because it, it's it can be difficult. It's generally if you get compaction issues. It takes more than one year to take them out. It's just a um, major compaction. So you, you really need to improve. If you've got continual compaction problems due to waterlogged subsoils, then you'll you need to be looking at uh, sorting out these drainage issues. Mm -hmm. While green manures help loosen up and, and improve the structure of the topsoil, underlying subsoil and wet wetland wet problems are going to cause you issues uh, that really need a, a bit of capital investment to, to yeah. put in and sort so. yeah which is drainage essentially drainage yeah, yeah drainage yeah, yeah. and it, it well well thought out drainage plans can be that you you tackle issues in the field but you should also plan um, because a lot of the, the the drainage infrastructure is starting to the, the last major um, installation would have been in the late 80s which is, is hidden for like towards 40 years old, 30, 30 40 years old. Yeah. So it's, even that stuff is starting to, to age, but a lot of the drainage infrastructure on farms is over 150 to 100 years old. And these these are really coming to the end of their life. So investment will be needed to, to maintain the, imperfect, the naturally imperfectly drained soils in Scotland, hopefully, the, because reduce the loss of nitrous oxide and maintain the the efficiency of utilization of your nitrogen fertilizers and all your fertilizers and the lime because the 
the more you leach and run off the the more losses are, are yeah. to the yeah. to the environment, which is what is a from a farming yeah. point of view, we want to try and maintain the efficiency of the system. Absolutely. So well drained ground would be less chance of contaminants reaching water courses, and there'd be less wasted yeah. fertilizer, or inputs could be reduced if it's all. Yeah, you've correct. you've less wasted fertilizer. I, whether you reduce your inputs, but you probably maximise the utilisation yeah. of the inputs. The other thing is from a good housekeeping on a catchment scale is the more you water you can infiltrate into your soil structure the less is going to run off the surface and into the water courses which may cause flooding downstream in some of the urban areas so if we can hold more water without causing issues in the in the so for the soil then it's a good neighbor uh, area so it's can Aye, on a whole kind of landscape or yeah, region level, yeah, yeah, you can yeah, improve water retention. Yeah. Improve water retention and slow things down and a, a bit of careful management of hedge and, and uh, shelter belt placement in the uplands can help reduce flow off the surface and yeah. that, that, that can help reduce the, the, the losses yeah. and, into the water courses yeah, and, yeah. and provide shelter for livestock and help and improve weight gains and everything. Mm -hmm. and, so. Yeah. feed conversion ratios on the on the hills yeah. so a lot of these things the kind of the environmental perspective and the kind of production perspective are really both driving the same yeah, thing so it'd be a win-win win-win thought out take out areas that are not uh, actively productive um, and put in with the help of some of the either the forestry grants or some of the in a crofting area, you you get the CAGS grants. You would you get the benefits for improving drainage, but you also help improve uh, tree planting and that. Yeah. And it, it 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 does help if you're planting hedges and that. You you create a barrier a barrier that helps slow down the, the water flow down the yeah. surface. So yeah. And improves water infiltration, I think too. Yes, uh, some the, of the hedges the because the, the rooting under a hedge is is very good, and as yeah. you can see, you look at any the the root structure under any old hedge um, is really uh, impressive compared yeah. to the arable bit in the field and yeah. you've got far better root, uh, rooting and open soil structure under the hedge so yeah. you're getting better infiltration for that belt and if you put it across a slope and you, know, you can help break up the fields and as we're moving towards more uh, rotational grazing so y you could utilize these to help break up areas of land so you can rotational graze and one of the things we should be looking at rotational grazing as well is the benefit is the the less you take off at any one time when you're grazing the bigger the root mass mm. will go into the soil which in turn helps keep the soil open. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Scottish Farming Advisory Service provides a telephone advice line which you can call for free advice. The number is 0300 323 0161. Visit the FAS website at www.fas.scot to find out about free events near you.